0: Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babbelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. You may think sushi is the greatest culinary contribution from Japan, but I pose a strong contender. On this week's podcast, we're going to hear from purveyors of mochi ice cream, the small round confections consisting of a soft pounded sticky rice dumplings formed around, you guessed it, ice cream. Today, we're joined by Russell Barnett and Angie Thomas. Welcome.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: Hi. Thanks for joining. I'm so, this is such a meaningful interview for me because we go way back with lots of funny stories along the way, so thanks. thank you both for joining. You're welcome. (laughs) So I guess, oh no. I guess I'm gonna start with just kind of asking, I mean, obviously I know what Mochi is, but for people out there who don't, um, do you wanna kind of tell us a little bit more about what Mochi is?
1: Sure. So, um, first of all, uh, mochi ice cream is sweet rice dough wrapped around premium ice cream. It's handheld portion control, 110 calories, four bites, totally transactional. And you're out. What it is not is Japanese.
0: Oh, maybe I need to change my intro. (laughs) uh,
1: No, no, no. It's, it's, it's perfect. Um, so, so, um, mochi ice cream was, is sort of a, a combination and it was actually, uh, uh, of mochi, which is Japanese, and ice cream, but it was invented in Los Angeles. Okay. So it is uniquely American.
0: So am I the only person who makes that mistake? Please say no. No, no. Okay.
1: What's amazing is it, is it leads exactly to where we are, which is this sort of hybrid of, of a variety of things. And so there, what we've done is we've taken an item with Asian inspiration and made it available to the masses.
0: That is amazing. So, you know, thanks for the clarification. um, Absolutely. (laughs) And and my apologies. We're off to a great start. But, you know, just so everyone knows, like, I've kind of, you know, people who know me know I'm a little bit of a stalker. um, And um, that goes back to my Weight Watcher days. But I have been stalking Russell and Angie probably for about (laughs) 10 years now. I guess I'd love to know a little bit. You both have really just been, you know, so involved in the food industry and the, you know, just new brands. Can you tell us a little bit more about your history working in this space?
1: Yeah, um, I, what i what I do is I'll sort of give you my quick rundown and then uh, I'll let Angie sort of chime in a little bit. Um, and, and one thing that's what you'll hear in, in, in the food business and I think in, in, in everybody's business businesses, uh, you know, the people come first and people matter. And, and, and more importantly, when you find people that you work exceptionally well with, um, you make sure you keep them very, very, very close In your circle um and angie and i have about a seven or eight year history of working together but uh, i sort of cut my teeth early on um uh in in the food business Uh, i got the opportunity to at an agency way back when to work on items like oregon chai and garden burger and you know way way old brands but really innovative stuff um and then as i was ready to start my own agency got a phone call from a canadian gentleman who had a brand called mike's hard lemonade he wanted to bring it to the us and uh, so he and I connected, and we sort of retooled this brand that was doing very well in Canada, and made it accessible to the U.S. market, and went from nothing to you know in five years almost I'll call it 150, 175 million dollar brand, and still kicking along today, which which we love. Um, and from that point, I was able to uh, uh, start uh, Pop Chips. I was the second employee over with uh, the folks from Pop um and and took that business uh you know from a little known better for you uh chip brand to 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 what it is today and uh uh was there for about five years and took that business to a little over 100 million dollars um from that point was uh moved to los angeles followed a blonde who's now my wife
0: uh,
1: (laughs) and uh who uh right um and and then was able to uh uh, connect with a gentleman named eve potvin and eve potvin was the founder of of Um, really the first plant-based protein company to go center plate. And he was running a business that was about a $30 million run rate uh, when we came in. And his vision was to bring plant-based protein, you know, to, to the mainstream and, and, and uh, really find a way t- for people to, to enjoy their food, period. And if it happened to be plant-based, even better. Uh, and so we took that business uh, to about a $90 million run rate and sold that off to uh, what was the, the old Pinnacle Foods, uh, group. Um, then we uh, joined over, then I was able to go over to Cavita really quickly, help them with the rebrand before they sold that to PepsiCo. And here we are at uh, Maimo Mochi Ice Cream. Uh, and then I'll give you a little bit of sort of update of what we've been doing there. But that's my quick, quick food industry history.
0: So you haven't been busy at all?
1: No, no, I'm I'm really lazy uh, <laughs> and, and and I am a slacker, but uh, but but I but I do uh, but but I, but I do get involved in really really fun things, and I've been very 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 lucky.
0: Uh, I find it inspiring because you know I'm Canadian to hear that two of the brands, I think both of them, right, were Canadians. Go Canada, Vancouver. Yep, that's awesome. Go Canada.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Angie, tell us a little bit about yourself. I.
2: I don't know how I really top that. Um, I, I started out in had a sports background. I worked for the New York Yankees for a little bit, a couple of boutique sports marketing agencies. I um, started working um, at Five Hour Energy on their field marketing experiential programs. I uh, ended up meeting Russell and ended up starting with him at Gardein. Uh, also worked with him at Kavita and obviously most recently Mimo. So I am so lucky and beyond grateful to learn from someone who has been an incredible visionary in the industry, and I'm just having so much fun.
0: That is amazing. You're like definitely a dynamic duo. Now, so tell me, like, I know that when I first started, you know, kind of writing to you both and you both knew many years ago what influencers were, were one of the first people who ever responded. Do you remember when influencers for you first came onto the scene?
2: So good question.
1: Yeah. Angie, why don't you answer this question?
2: (laughs) I'm sure you'll have your take too. (laughs) Um, So I think Russell and I both agree on this. Anyone who kind of guides you towards trying something or convinces you to make a purchase or gets you to share a particular opinion is a quote influencer, right? So this idea has been around long before there was an actual term for it. The term was coined more so for the digital domain in recent years, but it's really been around forever. Um, So when I was younger, like the older girl that lived down the street convinced me that like sparkle eyeshadow and butterfly clips was in, right? Or in sports, I wore, you know, a number two jersey because of my favorite athlete. And I mean, even Santa Claus can be considered an influencer. So this has been really going on since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I, we,
1: I, I would say that, you know, uh, it, it's certainly now uh, an easier thing to correlate with the digital domain and the ability to to really uh, identify and measure um, what people's impact are are to your business or the conversation around your business, so I think that for us, you know, we we look at influencer marketing is super important for us, and we also, uh, with a little bit of jaded uh, look at the term, uh, uh, say uh, it, it's not so new.
0: No, I get it. So when you talk like that, you know are you seeing that more of your focus is going toward influencers now or, you know, is it scaling back? Like, are you growing the influencer portion of your marketing you know, plan?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think that it certainly, um, you know, we, 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 we fire on a couple of sort of key pillars in, in, in the marketing group. Um, you know uh, we, we, we fire in the digital domain, obviously uh, we fire on PR and we fire uh, on, on experiential sort of putting uh uh, mochi ice cream, my mochi ice cream balls in hand, uh, in people's hands and mouths. Um, and so, when you think about digital and you think about PR, influencer is an ex- is 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 a part of both of those elements for us. So yes, we we will continue to use it, and actually, we continue to lean further and further into it um, as as we we do our work over the years. We've we we've, we've been able to allocate more time and energy. But what we've also been able to do is really come up with uh, with with a, a strategy. That, that works well for us. So, you know, we get the question quite a bit, which is, you know, oh, I'm just starting out. I should leverage influencers. How much money should we put aside to it? You know, oh my God, this is going to cost us so much money. And we kind of take the exact opposite approach, which is, you know, really um, dip your toe in lightly and, and, and find ways to create natural affinity uh, between the brand and the influencer, and then find ways to sort of funnel them down into a way, into a place that sort of makes sense. Um, Angie's put together a a great strategy um, about how she goes about doing that. Angie, why don't you you give a little bit of insight?
2: Sure. So our strategy is a a three-tiered approach. The first one is what we call Always On. So we do year-long surprise and delight outreach where we kind of organically invite influencers to take a more active role with MIMO. And then these folks self-select in a way, and some of them end up being funneled down to like our second tier, and we call that amplification. So this is where we would then potentially contract a select group of influencers to create content, participate in some of our larger partnerships or event opportunities. And then we kind of continue to notice who shows up in a big way and continues to and then we then give them the opportunity to get even more involved which is kind of our ambassador program which is our third tier so a very very select few uh, will come on board to create content on an annual basis throughout the
0: year and so when you're doing this whole strategy and thank you for sharing because I don't know if everyone would you know be open to doing that so it's definitely helpful you know, are you using tools? Are you finding these influencers just because they're engaging with you on platforms? You know, is there a PR firm involved? How do you find the influencers?
1: It's all of the above. Um, Angie, you can jump in.
0: It's a good question. I think that for us, there are so many
2: tools, so many influencer platforms Mm -hmm. that can get a little bit noisy. I think for us, what we've really loved um, about Babelbox. Um, is and we found such value not only with Mimo, but we've worked with Battlebox for uh, three different brands that we've we've been a part of. And so I we like how you kind of curate the best influencers. You connect the online and the offline really well through actual events and the boxes. We love like the box thematic, which helps kind of integrate the brand storytelling. So we have found that that creates the most affinity, the best experience for the influencers. And so I just would say that that has been a big part um, of our
0: influencer marketing strategy. Good to know. I had no idea, but thank you. So when, you, so when you're so when you selecting influencers, is there, you know, sp- I know you talked about the strategy, but are there verticals you're looking at? Are there locations? Like, is there any specific criteria, like an engagement percentage, anything like that?
1: I think for us, it, it's a couple of things. Um, you know, our, our criteria is, we first of all, we fire on a couple of things. Um, our lifestyle platforms are food, as you can imagine, fashion. Um, which is the great correlation between uh, food, fashion, color, and experience, which we love, and then last sort of, sort of art and design. Um, so those are sort of the three pillars. So we look for folks in those sort of arenas, and they're pretty wide uh, by design. Um, the other thing that we look at is, you know, we, we look at who their audience is, obviously, and so we have some tools that allow us to sort of get into that space, and we look at their content quite a bit because we want to make sure the content style, we don't want to put anybody in a position where they've got to create a piece of content in a style that isn't theirs because it's disingenuous. Mm -hmm. So what we want to make sure is that our styles and our aesthetics and our, and our, and our language really, really marry up super well. And then what we also like to do is we then provide the opportunity for folks to connect with us. And then what we do is we watch what, the engagement looks like not just a sheer numbers game of how many people liked it, how many people clicked uh, to, the, to the website, whatever it may be, but we look at the, co- the, the, the style of the content. So if we send somebody who's a fashion person uh, some, some information about MIMO and they go out and do this great post and it's this beautiful picture of what we deem food porn and it's mochi balls on top of mochi balls and it looks gorgeous. And she's standing there, or he's standing there, and someone comments about their shoes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's a miss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what it is, what 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 that shows us is that that the, those folks who are who are their fans and followers are more interested in them, the the influencer, as opposed to what they're talking about, the content of their post. And so that's where we really get into a lot of the nuance. Of what works and what doesn't work. How do we identify? How don't we identify? I mean, I think we've all done some great things where you know we think an influencer is gonna work and we've spent some money against them a little bit, and we're completely like, wow, that went really sideways. We have a <laughs> example where you know, we we hired, we, we hired a, a great influencer who is so on brand and we love her. I won't name names here. Uh, and and That's she's all. on and She's on national television for major brands and and is phenomenal. But the work that was done with us and the engagement around her wasn't the marry up that we anticipated. And while it wasn't a failure by any means, it certainly wasn't. It wasn't a moment where we were we were so collectively had this love affair. Mm-hmm. On the other side. Um, you know, we've had these great sort of moments where, um, where, where we've been so surprised by by what has happened, and and this one I can talk about. We we have a gentleman named uh, Foodie Fetish, and, and he's out of Miami, mm-hmm. and and he. Wait! If you uh,
2: don't follow him, you have to. If
1: you don't he follow says. Foodie <laughs> Fetish, you yeah. have to follow Foodie mm-hmm. Fetish
0: right okay. now <laughs> okay we're gonna we're on I'm it sorry
2: so gonna, Russell. <laughs> yeah,
1: no 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 we're gonna definitely give him a shout out but but um Foodie was somebody that we started and we just invited him to we send him some surprise and delights and he had a natural affinity to what we were doing and we had a natural affinity to the type of style of of of, of content he re- he created and we we got into and his and then we started bringing him to some events and he started just creating content we created a really nice personal relationship as well. And now he is one of our, you know, one of our core influencers who stays with the brand on a regular basis. And we're, we're so close to him that, you know, by the way, we only communicate via DMs. Um, I don't him, <laughs> uh, which is phenomenal. Um, he's now sort of coming up on, I don't know, 3.5, 3.6 million followers. And yep. he's become one of these guys that, you know, for example, I, I was in South Florida a couple of months ago, and uh, I landed that morning, I sent him a quick DM, and I said, hey, uh, look, I need a place to eat tonight. And, <laughs> you know, because why not ask, why not ask one of your favorite influencers? Well, who has um, foodie fetishes, the, yeah, it makes fetish, sense. Right, and I'm hungry. <laughs> and, and but what was great was, was he, he came and joined me for dinner. And it was not on a paid piece. It was not because, you know, I was in town and he felt an obligation. It was because we just really, really get along. and he had as many questions about how to build his business uh, 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 from our perspective as we had about how do we really create this this great content collectively together. And that's where this stuff really works.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, look, we have a lot of companies. It's just so interesting. Sometimes you see so much buzz around an influencer and every brand's like, oh we want to work with that influencer right. and we've had something similar like recently a brand was super super picky with the influencers and no one was good and they wanted this and then the last final two they let us just say you know we said could we just make our recommendations for the last two and those right. for the and it's not to say that you know you know we know better but sometimes it's like brands are just you know kind of going toward that person that everyone thinks is going to get them the best results and it's those under the radar really you know unique up and coming people that could resonate better
1: yeah and and again for us we 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 never see we don't see fails in any of the things we're doing but what we see is wow that was an interesting lesson for us in how we really hone the strategy that that Angie was uh, articulating earlier i mean it really After that moment, that's when we really the strategy came together before we were kind of like, well, we think we have a way of getting at this thing. And it was very loose. And the moment this all came together, it became really, really easy for us to 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 graphically represent this funnel in a way that we could easily articulate it to ourselves and and anybody we, we were talking to.
0: We might have to create a diagram of the funnel and uh, pass it around.
1: We have lots of diagrams. <laughs> we have lots of charts and graphs, and we have lots of formulas for creative, believe it or not. I love that stuff.
2: Yeah. Russell's favorite shape is a triangle, aside from uh, a circle, but his favorite shape is a triangle. So we, we're happy to share that.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to – this next one's for you, Angie. So, you know, we could go back about you cooking on a roof for an event we did. You are literally – everywhere. I mean, you go to every single event and every time I'm writing you, you're somewhere else. So could you just tell us about, you know, how the event experiential side comes into play, particularly with influencers? Like what do you do when you're going to a Coachella and a fashion week and how, when there's so much clutter, like how do you create an experience around influencers that has them excited and, you know, etc.?
2: Experiential is our jam. We are a digitally native brand. And the in-person experience is so important. We love thinking about how to bring the MIMO brand to life in real life. And when you have a product that people are unfamiliar with, there are some people who still haven't heard of Mochi or have tried it before. That experience in in trial is key. Um, Our As Russell mentioned, our lifestyle pillars are fashion, food, and art. So everything that we do from an event perspective, from influencer, from content perspective, hits on one of those three pillars. So we have field marketing teams that are activating anywhere from 30 to 40 specially curated high-impact events per month. And then we have certain tentpole events that we activate throughout the year. So we really love doing things that you don't really expect, but make perfect sense. So Mimo on and off the runway, or the red carpet at New York Fashion Week, desert poolside at Coachella, the, the rap parties at Sundance, um, makeup and mochi ice cream. So one that I think would be awesome for us to talk about is our National Ice Cream Day Uniqlo partnership. Mm-hmm. We teamed up to celebrate color, play, food, and fashion for. National Ice Cream Day, which is the third Sunday every July. It's kind of like our Super Bowl. So we created this pop-up MIMO experience in select Uniqlo stores across the country in major media markets. So it's very much consumer-focused, but then we also tapped into our network of food, fashion, and lifestyle influencers for them to create and share content leading up to the big day, as well as on-site in each market to drive additional awareness and engagement. And so we brought in about 150 influencers, most of which were organic. Only a very small percentage were um, at all contracted. Um, and the results included, I mean, half a billion, more than half a billion earned media impressions. Um, That's amazing. About 200 pieces of social 600 content. 600 million. <laughs> That is amazing. Six hundred million. Thank that's you, Russell. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I. That's an amazing way to. You're you're creating ultimately. You know, Uniqlo is fast retail fashion. It's food, but you would never necessarily put them together. And then as soon as you hear that, it's just this really happy marriage of color and play and fun and fashion. So they were an amazing partner, and we were able to create this really fun experience. And I'm so excited for what happens next National Ice Cream Day. I don't, we cannot wait to top it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's brilliant because they also have, you know, the the stores where you could kind of bring in your ice cream and the, the, the foot traffic. So it's a brilliant marriage.
2: And an- another example, um, I don't think we've touched on it yet. An- another example is a partnership that we did um, that we brought to life with NYX, with L'Oreal and their NYX professional makeup brand. So mm-hmm. this all started with a surprise and delight gifting okay. Nick had tried MIMO. They were so inspired by the color and like that pillowy soft texture. So we ended up partnering to create a custom love you. So Mochi makeup line. So the product launch hit on PR on social on influencer and on consumer resulted in, in about a hundred million media impressions. Um, We had the ability to create some really amazing consumer and influencer experiences, both nationally, um, and we brought in global influencers um, from around the world. We also partnered with Uber Eats to create this Hashtag Mochi Monday campaign, Mm -hmm. and we offered custom MIMO and Nix care packages delivered right to influencers and consumer stores.
0: When did this all happen?
1: Well, you know, maybe I'll I'll jump in here. here.
0: Yeah. You know. but, but we need to speak more, because I had no idea right. about this cosmetic line.
1: So so let, oh. let we, maybe we should take a minute and kind of frame up what we've been up to for the past three years. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're quietly under the radar creating a category. As we mentioned, uh, Mochi ice cream was invented in Los Angeles in, in, in 1992. It was a woman named Frances Hashimoto. Um, and she was fourth generation uh, Japanese bakery company here, here in the US. Um, and uh, she had, she, they created Mochi ice cream. They were selling things in like uh, Trader Joe's and especially and, and, uh, in Asian channel stores and, and all of that stuff. And so uh, she, unfortunately, she passed away in 2012 and uh, she w- the, the family decided they were gonna get out of the business. And so we acquired the business in 2015 um, with the, with the uh, investment thesis of bring Mochi to the masses. And people said mochi to the masses, never heard of it. And our point of view was exactly. And so what we went about was retooling a business and creating a brand to fire on all the affinities in, in, in the marketplace. And so what we did was we dissected this thing and we said, hmm, and I love conflict in brand. And I talk a lot about that. Um, but when we, when we looked at the, uh, what we have, we have dough and we have ice cream, which collectively – is effing amazing, but it's also really weird. So we said, keep the weird, keep this idea of chewing your ice cream. And let's go then go about and take away all the other problems because consumers can only deal with one step change. And so what we did was we got rid of Japanese influence. We gave it an ode to Asian inspiration. I didn't grow up with yuzu and red bean and black sesame, but I do know vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. And if I have to get exotic, I can get to green tea and I can get to mango. That was our baseline. Then it was, um, you know, food business at at the time was all about the negative. It was the, it was, it was the white space. And so you had Kashi boxes that had no color, no vibrancy. It was just raw and boring. And it was void. of. and we were so, we felt that there was there should be nothing void here and it was already a colorful, playful product. So lean into this. So, um, so we, we gave it bright, vibrant colors and gave it a name people could pronounce.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the last thing of it was we looked at consumers and what they were doing and how they acted. And we realized that the holy grail is not ice cream. The holy grail is snacking. And because we're handheld portion control, four bites, fully transactional, we were a snack that happened to be frozen. And once we figured that all out, we, we ran like hell. So we launched the MIMO brand in, in January of 2017, so not even three years ago. We're now available in almost 20,000 retailers around the country, from a Wegmans to a, a, a Target and everything in between. Uh, the mochi ice cream category in frozen novelty um, has grown 5X. We're almost 2% of all ice cream novelty sales now, the mochi ice cream category. And Mimo owns about 90% of that category. So last brand to be measured in and now the leading brand to be sold. So think about it as there is no category without Mimo. There is no mochi ice cream with, category without Mimo. So very much like what Chobani had done with Greek yogurt. They didn't necessarily invent Greek yogurt, but they were able to bring it to the masses. behind bars what they were able to do to the bar category um and so that's the space what vitamin water was able to do and the like so that was the space that we knew that we wanted to be in we knew we wanted to create a category and now what we're doing is really as a category creator and leader of really acting in a responsible way to ensure that this category continues to grow and flourish
0: so i mean are you gonna go beyond this product line? Are you gonna, are there new products in the pipeline or?
1: Heck yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> so this whole, whole idea of, of texture um, is, is really, is really the, the wonderful moment. This pillowy rice dough combined with creamy something is really magical and sort of this play for your mouth moment. So, you know, we've been innovating since day one. We came out with the MIMO brand, which is dairy based. We knew quickly, that folks uh, would would want to have a, a non-dairy or vegan option. So we have a line of non-dairy and vegan items.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we then also knew that there was people who were snackers, but they liked to eat ice cream in ice cream eating occasions. So we came out with um, uh, uh, um, an ice cream with mochi bits in it. So think about a reverse engineer. Right, the
0: like uh, a cookie dough ice cream. Yeah, yeah. He
1: constructed a uh, mochi ice cream. And then, of course... Um, there's a whole series of other avenues that we can go into. When I said the investment thesis was bring mochi to the masses, it mm-hmm. was not bring mochi ice cream to the masses. So mochi ice cream is our proof of concept. And so now we're in the, involved in iterating in a lot of refrigerated and or ambient solutions uh, in, that are really snackable and that can also be ingredient based. So look for more in 2020. There's a lot of surprises on the, on the horizon.
0: I can't wait, especially when you get to the savory category.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, what we've also done, what's interesting is, you know, to sort of cover some of that off is um, one of the things that we also uh, came out with last year was our triple layer. And so what we were able to do was, you know, traditional mochi ice cream that you would see that that we created was the dough wrapped around the ice cream. Well, we found a way to put a core in the center of that. So uh, we came up with a number of 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 iterations of that. And our favorite being um, our s'more flavor. And that's a that's a chocolate covered, that's a chocolate-flavored mochi dough with a graham cracker ice cream and the fines of the graham cracker in the ice cream, and then it has a marshmallow center. So, so th- when you take a bite of this <laughs> thing, your whole mouth just explodes and not just a flavor, but this sort of textural overload and sensation. And so that's where our sort of sweet spot is so we're going to always we're going to always iterate in in how do we make your mouth super happy
0: okay so your favorite is this flavor Angie? is that your favorite flavor this more or do you have a different one mine changes depending on the day (laughs)
2: so Uh, i i i'm not that helpful when it comes to favorite flavor when i first started ripe strawberry was one of my all-time favorites it is one of the most popular ones in our line Now I would say I'm a big uh, Dolce de Leche fan, which is also one of our most recent flavors.
0: Very interesting to know. I'm going to have to figure out what mine is. Thank you. Um, Well, I have to say the reason I love you both is because your energy and your passion, like you just – it's not just the color, it's just, I just want to go create. So I thank you so much for joining today. And I think it's so inspiring for everyone listening in. I'm going to just ask one last question, which I have to ask, which is my key question. Is there an influencer you love to follow, but hate to admit that you follow?
1: (laughs) I'll I'll jump in because I got the boring one and then I'll let Angie sort of close this out. Okay. so I'm really bad. I there, there's there's nobody that I can think of that I'm going, ugh, but I, I follow weird things. So first of all, um my my my, my love hate is um, if you don't know what mukbang is, no I know what mukbang is um,
2: that's mine too. <laughs> ah, oh fantastic. God. Well,
1: all right, well then I just stole her thunder, but my 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 <laughs> my mine is, is, is mukbang. It's just awful um, to look at and if you don't know what it is. It's people who are eating with uh, very close up and they have the sound on. So you can hear every, Oh God. And every, every sound associated with eating and chewing your food at very close <laughs> up angles. And it's crazy weird and it's addicting. Um, and then personally, if, if, if there's a plane, a fish or an animal, I'm
0: following them. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Angie, did he steal yours entirely?
2: He did. I'm, I- I so I don't even know though if I love to follow the hashtag mukbang, um, but I can't stop. So I I would say that um, if I had to pick another one, I would probably say I I think I follow more animals than I do people, uh, especially on Instagram. And I think that Walter Jeffrey <laughs> is uh, a favorite of mine that everybody is not so pleased when, when, when the posts come on. So that's all I'll say. You'll have to follow Walter Jeffrey to to know what I mean.
0: Okay. Well, now I'm going to be turning on to watching people eat their food. So thank you both (laughs) for enlightening me with that, but thank you again. So special to be talking with you and I just, you know, continue the success and we're watching and cheering you on. Very good. Bye everyone. Thank you so much. We have, we have a blast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye thanks for tuning in to this week's beyond the box produced by tough monkey entertainment beyond the box is brought to you by babble box with your host sherry langbert visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets